Welcome to Fintech Insider Insights brought to you by 11FS. Today we're going to talk about the relationship between mental health and financial services. I'm Simon Taylor and I'm joined by James Routledge from Sanctus. James, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. James, uh, first off, tell me a little bit about Sanctus. Uh, you guys are a really interesting organization. Yeah, um, where to start, I suppose. <laughs> um, big, big topic. But so Sanctus comes at mental health in in hopefully quite a unique and refreshing way i suppose kind of underpinned by some like core notions that one we all have mental health and we're all on the spectrum of mental health at any one given point and two i suppose where we hopefully are a bit unique um the way we look at mental health is that we should be kind of treated in the same way as we are our physical health so we should invest proactively in our mental health to become stronger, better versions of ourselves, not kind of just wait until we're in a place that's kind of unmanageable or we're not coping. Yeah, I, I like that definition. You said you want to launch the first mental health gym before we were talking. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, that's the, I suppose that's the big kind of mission which kind of ties all that together, really. It's, it just captures that notion that we, we can, we can go to a safe space and speak, you know, speak to someone impartial, confidential and kind of invest in our, men- our own mental health and talk openly about our feelings without being judged, um, in a really positive and uplifting way that will actually hopefully allow us to kind of, uh, you know, just become more ourselves, really. I love this idea and, and I had a look at your website and I got to say, I, I just wanted to get involved immediately. It was, there was something about that uplifting feel um, that was really, really good. Um, could you tell me a little bit about how you view financial services? Because we, we all know it as being quite a stressful topic for the just about anyone. I, I think about numbers and I just start like not enjoying myself. Uh, and is that, do you think that can be accentuated for people who suffer from or are at risk of suffering from poor mental health? So I don't know a lot about the financial services uh, industry in particular. Like I'm no expert on on that as a, as a market. But I think what I can say is that like when I, when I started Sanctus, it was off the back of my own experience, right? Which mm-hmm. was very um, nuanced in the startup world. So I'd been a founder of a tech startup. I'd gone on that whole journey um you know that was kind of fueled by venture capital and lots and high growth expectations and pressure from you know top down and below and and eventually shut that business down and that's where kind of my mental health capitulated right so my experience of mental health was very much uh, related to the startup industry so when i first started talking about mental health openly I kind of thought that mental health was only relevant to startups. Yeah. So not, and that's obviously a very naive view. Um, And initially I think a lot of people in the startup industry think like, oh, you know, we've got, uh, there are severe problems around mental health in just the startup industry. Because again, in that industry, financial insecurity, financial pressure, Mm -hmm. um, people sort of thrusted into leadership positions at an early age, you know, just a really topsy turvy industry. Yeah. However, I suppose since starting Sanctus and seeing the community grow, I think the first thing we've seen is that like mental health is just so pervasive across every industry, every type of person. Uh, and that's from startups to law to banking to PR media, like 
you name it, we've all got mental health and whatever industry we work in affects our mental health in a certain way. So what I see from the financial services industry is that I imagine there'll be a certain set of cultural norms and pressures in the banking industry and the financial services industry, which will affect people's mental health in a certain way. And we've got a great panel coming up in a couple of minutes where we'll, we'll dive into that in more depth. But before I get to that, can you just reflect on maybe how we can be more open about mental health in the workplace? Like who is responsible for leading that agenda? Yeah, a, a double-sided. Uh, I, would, I wouldn't say just, just one person. I think the employer has a role to play and a duty of care, certainly, because we all spend so much more time at work these days. And especially like new, you know, younger generations expect a lot from work. So I, I do think the employer has a responsibility, but at the end of the day, it's your mental health and you've got a responsibility to open up as well. So I think in the workplace in particular, uh, leadership have a, have a massive role to play. They're the, they're the people with influence, power to, to make change. And I think the biggest thing that I've seen across uh, businesses and working with businesses is when a leader in a business kind of opens up in some way and shows a level of vulnerability and shares their own story. And that's just like immensely powerful. And it, it's never not been powerful in my experience. It, it gives anyone below them or around them in that organization permission to do exactly the same. Something powerful about showing that vulnerability. Uh, so there's definitely that emphasis on, on leadership being able to do that. But some firms banks, insurers are quite yeah. big. Is there something more they can do? I know you guys have a, is it a charter or a pledge that yeah. you have with Sanctus? Yeah, yeah I, th I mean, I think the list is is kind of not endless, but there's a lot people can do for mental health. And, and you look at a lot of businesses and they, they're starting to scratch the surface with things like wellness weeks and they're getting yoga into the office and, um, you know, they're, they're bringing mindfulness in. A lot of businesses have longstanding employee assistance programs or health insurance. And I think actually with mental health broadly outside of any industry, just on a societal level, the actual products we need to serve our own mental health are all out there, mm -hmm. right? They've been out there for thousands of years. Meditation's been around for thousands of years. Journaling, therapy, coaching, it's actually all out there, right? Mm -hmm. What What isn't there is this uh, acceptance and this normalization of the topic in general. So there are a lot a business can do, but I just, I just really like, think it's so important that before that happens, the, the perception of what mental health actually is has to change first. And when that's changed and when the environment is right and the ground is kind of fertile in a business, what people need will, will suddenly will, will come to the surface. Can you give me an example of somewhere or some people or an organization that's done that well and, and the impact it had on its on its kind of colleagues, staff? People? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's two there's two companies that we work with um, that spring to mind. The first is on Fido. Um, yeah, so they're like verification software, essentially. And another one we work with, which is in the sort of fintech sector, um, is, is TransferWise. And what both of those businesses did, I mean, at TransferWise, you know, I sat up on the stage with Tavit um, and, you know, he asked me questions about mental health and he publicly showed an interest in front of his, his entire staff. Um, so that that sends such a huge message that this like alpha powerful CEO leader in your business 
thinks not only is it important for himself, but actually it's important that everyone in the business takes care of it. So that just sends a huge, huge message. And we had the exact same with Onfido with their, again, their founders buying in. So right from the very, very top, you know, you've got buy-in and you've got um, an admission that this is important. Don't get me wrong, none of those founders were were sharing their life story, but like it was an they, example. It, it was, was it was an example, yeah. And then from there, from then on, they've both got incredible people teams um, that consistently kind of push push this champion, not just Sanctus, but mental health in general. Um, and and they care about their employees. Like I think it's that kind of that simple. Like it's that demonstration by first showing vulnerability. I think second, then putting in the tools for people yeah. to to be able to manage that with themselves and and for teams yeah. to manage it and for their management underneath them to be able to do it. Well, I think they're showing to their staff that without sounding a bit corny, like we love you, right? Yeah. Like we want you here and we care for you and. And actually, when you're having a hard time too, and especially in tech and maybe in fintech, it's an extremely competitive industry for talent. Like, it's not easy to hire the best talent. They're very picky about where they can go. So, um, you know, if you're looking to recruit and retain the best technical talent, then showing... To, to potential candidates or hires that look we care about you your mental health is welcome here as well as all the other amazing perks that we have I think that sends a really really strong message uh, it's a huge signal and I like that you mentioned both TransferWise and on Fido who are known as fintech companies um, so that's uh, so great examples and, and I'm sure they'll be glad to, to, to hear that what a coincidence indeed yeah. it's, it's, it's <laughs> almost like you knew but you yeah. didn't I, I can promise you we, we didn't plan that listeners Fintech innovation is changing the way we bank, and the speed we deploy new customer experiences is vital. Onboarding the right fintech partners can take months. Do you have time to lose? Introducing the Innovation Acceleration Platform from Temenos. Test fintech solutions at speed with real data straight from the core banking system. With a yearly subscription, you can begin testing the same day and create new customer experiences in no time. For more details, visit marketplace.temenos.com. All right, so to help us delve deeper into the world of financial services and mental health, we have with us a fantastic panel. First up, I'm going to ask Joanne Barefoot. Would you mind introducing yourself to our lovely listeners, please? Yeah, thanks. I'm so happy to be here. It's a great topic. I am Joanne Barefoot. I'm CEO of Barefoot Innovation Group and uh, co-founder of Hummingbird RegTech and uh, have worked for many years in consumer protection and finance, and today how technology can uh, do better to promote consumer financial health, uh, as well as improve the regulatory process, which is where I got to know Nick Cook. Uh-huh. John, thank you very much for being with us. And of course, we have the wonderful Gela Boschkowitz. Gela, how are we? Um, we're well. All of us are. All the voices in my head are well. Thank you. <laughs> and the one and only Nick Cook. Nick, how are you, sir? Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, what is it you do, Nick? So I'm head of uh, RegTech and Advanced Analytics at the Financial Conduct Authority. Um, my link into this topic has been that we held a tech sprint earlier in the year that you attended, um, all about the linkage between financial services and mental health and how technology could make some improvements in the products that are available to consumers to help them. So um, I'm going to start with uh, you, Joanne. Uh, can you 
help me really frame this challenge uh, where we have kind of difficulties uh, with, I, mean, I guess, an entire spectrum of, of potential challenges. But what, are, what sort of problems have different types of people and personas seen with financial services? And what did, and then maybe I'll throw to Nick to sort of see what you learned from the tech sprint. I, I think it's so great that we're framing the topic the way we are today because we're thinking holistically about issues that people have traditionally thought of in sort of their narrow silos. So in financial services for decades, we've talked about promoting financial inclusion, or we've talked, we've used the term that people are underbanked. And, you know, that's sort of an industry-centric thought process. And in recent years, we've been reframing these, uh, these conversations to think about what is the financial health of people? And that runs in two directions. One is, are there financial services Im, uh, imperiling their financial health due to stress and struggle? And also, what are the vulnerabilities of people who have mental health challenges in accessing and safely using financial services, which is a lot of what this tech sprint was about. I'm uh, in the United States. I'm the chair of the board of a group called the Center for Financial Services Innovation. And it's been around for 13 years. A couple years ago, we reframed our mission as financial health, and we brought a doctor on our board, which, you know, we never would have done a few years ago. So um, the, there's such a connection between mental health, family healthiness, and finances. And uh, I think if we think together about it as one set of uh, human issues, we do better. And Nick, have you found that you see this in the data at any point? Can as through the tech sprint or through work with any of the partners, and even from being the consumer advocate as, as a regulator to a certain degree, and, and responsible for protecting the consumers, how, how have you approached this topic? Absolutely, you can see it in the data. Uh, we partnered up with the Money and Mental Health Policy Institute for the tech sprint, and they did a, a very large piece of research about six months ago now. Uh, five and a half, six thousand consumers with declared mental health issues. And of those, over 70% said their mental health condition had led to a deterioration in their financial position. And the worst in financial position had for over 80% of them made them more strained mentally as well. So it, the financial strain had impacted their, their mental health as well. So it works both ways. It's not just when I have poor mental health that my finances are impacted. It's when my finances are impacted, I can have poor mental health. And so, James, you talk a lot about kind of reframing it into into fitness and into kind of making it into more of a positive conversation. Do we think that like by turning finance into fitness, do you think there's something we can learn from what you've done as a, as a frame there? Um. I suppose there's a, a, a need to educate people on on phrases like financial health. I think that's a great phrase, and and how the the two interlink, and not only financial health but physical health and mental health. You know, there's a whole. I'm sure you could create some lovely pie chart about how that all of them interlink. And you know, as you were talking, I'm just thinking about myself. Like this, if I look at the time when I was at my lowest, I was spending money frivolously to to kind of try and fill a void and make myself feel better. And then then the fact that I I was so skint, I was in my overdraft and I was lending money off my mates, kind of probably made me feel worse as well. So it's it's kind of a vicious circle. Um, and I think anything we can do to kind of raise people's kind of self-awareness of, of when that is happening will will only positively affect both financial, mental, and, and then probably physical health as well. Can you give t 
tools to people uh, to promote mindfulness i think is an interesting question of, of, of an awareness generally in, in terms of mental health yeah and, uh, and have you seen that, that what have you seen broadly be effective i know there's no rules yeah, but yeah, like yeah. i think there are themes hopefully yeah there are i mean it's, it's it's a very difficult question it's the question everyone wants the answers for yeah. is is what can i do now to make my mental health better <laughs> right now like what's the mental health version of a press up like yeah. pe people always want to know give it give me a pill yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and if look if there was a one size fits all solution if there was a pill or a book to read we've all read it or we'd have all taken it uh, and it doesn't exist it's mental health is an extremely personal intimate topic to all of us and, and what works for me is going to be so different to anyone else in this room or listening to this podcast um you know the, the obvious the ones that are getting some mainstream kind of coverage now is is obviously meditation um apps like headspace and calm mindfulness coaching therapy uh, for me that my first kind of step on on my journey journey to be cliche was was journaling actually and i was i was no outlet i wasn't really opening up or talking to anyone and and kind of i hit the blank page in, in a journal and just started writing and that was my kind of first way of starting to write that first sentence of like i feel a bit weird which was the <laughs> first thing i ever wrote um and then that led me to a point of actually talking to someone about feeling anxious and, and whatnot so um there, there are lots of different things i think in general if you can just start from a, a place of curiosity and be willing to kind of take a risk with something you know do that first meditation session even though it probably feels a bit weird or mm. write that first journal entry or go and see that life coach or that therapist do that thing that just feels scary and a bit different but that could help possibly yeah. interesting so joanne is there an obvious business case here there's a huge business case here and it's at every level so it's at the company level for employers it's also at the, I mean, to frame it again in financial services or anybody who's interested in uh, economic growth and, and having an economy thrive, the more people who are productive, who are growing and thriving in what they're doing, able to move forward with their lives, that is part of what fuels commerce, even if it doesn't always show in our, in our uh, GDP statistics. Um, I also think that we all at this table are very interested in technology. Technology is causing some of these problems. There's a lot of growth and anxiety and so on around technology. But technology is also bringing a whole suite of potential answers in a lot of this. I love that you mentioned Headspace. Um, you know, I meditate with Headspace. I wouldn't be doing that if I couldn't listen to it on my phone while I'm, you know, that's why I, that's why I do it, because I can listen to it in, in the mobile version. In financial services, people, innovators are creating this tr huge number of new tools to help people just manage our lives more simply and easily, know whether or not we are financially healthy, benchmark ourselves, Take the stress and strain out of, uh, you know, trying to juggle bills and just have tools that, you know, being able to talk to a voice-based assistant that's just going to say, your bank account's too low to pay your utility bill on Monday, and here's what we should do about it. And you can say, good, do it. And, you know, it starts to work. So th thinking that way about the um, opportunity to leverage technology, not to be the entire solution, but to bring a set of new ways of thinking into this whole space. So that leads me neatly onto Nick. I mean, you've looked at a lot of data. You've done some tech sprints. You've worked with a number of partners in that area. Uh, how do you balance making sure that you're providing something that's helpful versus something that might 
go too far the other way. Because, um, you know, if you're providing data to people, can it increase their anxiety? If you're providing access to data to third-party apps, can that increase their anxiety? Or any other number, any number of other uh, potential bad outcomes? How do you balance the risks of abuse of access to data versus the, the benefits of that? I think fundamentally that the sort of main learning from the tech sprint was this has to be based on an opt-in model. That So the removal of control from someone experiencing a mental health issue is exacerbating to their condition. But many mental health conditions have periods of fluctuating mental health where you can elect opt-in to set a series of controls that are bespoke for you, customized for you, and modern digital financial services allow you to do that and allow you to do that with informed consent and informed decision-making based on useful data, useful information that tells you actually how you do behave in certain scenarios. So I think that that whole, con that whole concept that this isn't about removal of control from the individual, but the opportunity to set controls that work for them. But on that controls piece, though, how do you create those subtle and appropriate ways of doing that? Because I feel like um, warning screens or cutoffs could could exacerbate the problem. Have we thought about that balance? I mean, James, I don't know if you've seen anything like that where people have had you know things taken away from them or, or, or these kind of more draconian things happen and that, that can exacerbate the problem. Have you seen good balance? Have you seen people do this well or... I think it's it's a really difficult one. I think what's I think it was really really positive to start with is that people are like taking mental health into decisions around user experience and yeah. and, and UI and, and marketing messages and stuff like that. I think that's like an amazing start that people are even starting to to think of that. At the end of the day, though, you can't you can't solve someone's problem for them, right? And and unfortunately, I, I agree that that there's definitely a link between like how much technology and social media has kind of penetrated our lives and, and the kind of rise in anxiety and, and, and just mental health issues come into the fore. But you can't blame technology, really. You, you can't you can't say that it's Facebook's fault for making me feel making me compare myself to my friend who's got a nicer car than me. You know, that's not Facebook's fault. That's that's just brought to the fore or brought to the surface and an anxiety or an uncertainty about myself that I might have. So I think it's really difficult to play the blame game because there's a million and one things we could all blame for, for bad mental health. I think we've got to take responsibility, but it can start at a company level if the people at these organisations are taking care and are thoughtful and empathetic to their own mental health and the mental health of their colleagues. And that's going to that's gonna trickle down through the products they build and the services they provide. So have you seen um, good examples, I'm going to ask the room, of, of these from both the, the tech sprint, um, and, and I throw this open to, to, to anybody on the panel, or, or from elsewhere, what, what does good look like? Or what have you certainly seen that looks like it's at least heading in the right direction? I've seen some really interesting things with AI in terms of uh, the chat. I mean, in, in, as Joanne mentioned earlier, if you can talk to a voice base or a robo um, that gives you a feedback in something that you actually feel like you're connected to uh, something or someone that's feeding back. But the data points that are collected based on the language that we type and the hints that we're doing, and we overlay that with the transactions that we start to see at, say, and that's the financial transactions that we see at odd times or spikes or there's a massive increase in the in the spend, um, that we can actually start to look at that and compare somebody might actually be in danger. There are a lot of people looking now at how do we prevent suicide using AI as a coach, but also using all of these data points financially.
financial service data points included to identify when someone is at risk. And then when they are at risk, how do we prompt them to do something that may actually be a benefit, i.e. go out for a walk right now, you need to go out for a walk. Or we suggest you actually listen to a favorite piece of music, we suggest you get in touch with your friends, that we can nudge people into doing something that interrupts a pattern, but also helps us identify you're in crisis, let us let us change your mindset for a minute, can we help prevent something like that? And it's less, it's not particularly invasive, but the nudging into a different behavior or a nudging into thinking about something a little differently, that's really interesting. I love that term nudge. Um, behavioral economics has shown that time and time again, the nudge is the most effective way to go. Um, I'm interested, uh, Joe, Nick, have you seen anything similar that's worked? And, and how do you reflect on, on, on the points Gellar made? I think I think the nudge point is a very clear one. I think a lot of the examples that we saw were bringing transparency to spending behaviour and then suggesting alternative ways in which you may better manage your finances and nudging you towards micro savings and nudging you towards um, just considering how your pattern of behaviour is likely to result in either a sustainable financial health position or not. I think the other thing we saw a lot of was this I think one of the, the pressures at, at the moment of financial services is to make financial services as frictionless as possible. And actually the injection of a degree of friction which creates an opportunity for a pause for thought, I think is, has got some real merit in some consideration, particularly where people have elected to create that kind of friction. Well, you talk about the friction. It's also, we know that when someone is experiencing an episode, and I I have seen this in action, that their ability to reason or to come to a, a rational workflow and like making a transaction happen actually is disrupted. So that there is a way to also build in that friction that says, we want you to consider, do you understand? Can you type your password in? Can you draw a circle or, or this kind of shape on your mobile but, but phone? It, yeah, but it's not flashing up a warning of like, oh, red klaxon. It can be really subtle. It's precisely subtle that that person actually can't execute on the transaction. They can't authorize it because they can't complete the action that they would do if they were in a healthier space. So already doing something like that says, I may not nudge you to different behavior, but I put in a, in a in a stop for you that we've agreed upon when you were healthy that you can't complete that. You don't understand what you're doing right now, so I'm going to pause that for you. And then you can reconsider when you can actually engage and complete the transaction. So it's also identifying those points when someone is having a real challenge making a decision or executing uh, an action or, or, or literally tracing something or putting in a number or pin number in order to do that. We can put those frameworks in place that as an opt-in, somebody who recognizes when they have a manic episode in their spending, for example, and one out of 100 people has bipolar to some degree. And in bipolar, during the manic, you see a lot of spending. That's pretty pretty apropos to, to being in a manic state. There's a, an ease with which they go through money. You set up that little thing when you're in a healthy space, you're not on a manic ride. I can't complete that action. I've actually put a safe framework in place for myself, but I've chosen it and I'm not being told I'm stupid or I'm ill or there's a problem. I'm just not being, I'm, I'm, my action is being stopped without any sort of negative feedback or comment. It's just, I simply can't complete the action. So I James, I want to um, throw it to you here because I think um, the, you know, as Gala said, bipolar is is um, something for one in a hundred people will go through. When there's two sides to it, there's the mania and the depression, um, and there's there's everything in between. This is this is um, a cycle of experience. The answer can't just be surely um, product design. Is there a conversation that you're building with people, and how do brands think about building that conversation with their customers? So, you how to how to 
brands even make people aware that they're... Yeah, because I, I think mm. that, that a lot of the conversation has been about product. Yeah. It's been about, here's a feature. Um, but surely that has to be wrapped around with with more than that. So one of the things I, I see in, um, in in a number of fintech apps at the moment is there's, there's usually a person at the other end of the chat app who yeah. reacts to you with some of their personality. Yeah. And that I feel like I'm building a human connection and there's a human there, yeah. even if it's not talking to them on the phone. So it, there's something about that that humanizing of that interaction. Is is there something I think that brands humans can... are going to play an arguably a bigger part in in kind of solving the mental health epidemic than than technology is? You know, I think in many ways we like on a societal level we've kind of lost the ability to to talk to one another and to even feel. Um, you know, so I think technology can play a really big part and, and product interventions can, can play a massive part. And I hope there's more of that. But at the end of the day, you know, real change, real connection, real growth comes when 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 you when you open up and talk to another human being. We, we exist as social animals. Um, you know, if we're, we're siloed and we're isolated, that's not good for our mental health we need community we need people around us we need space to be open to be vulnerable to be honest so that you're right there has to be a human on the other end at some point who can listen and who's there to empathize and, and offer support so it's that balance of where can tech help us but where do the humans support really make a difference i mean um that's human-centered design yeah. so whether it comes in technology or in architecture and space or town planning, it's the human-centric design that actually enables us to connect or enables us to feel open and safe. We talk about banking as a trusted institution, right? So where is the trust in that I know that my bank is actually maybe going to help me with my financial wellness in, term, in, in times of crisis? It does still come back to this. It's human-centered around trust, around communication, around community. And an aspect that we haven't talked about is that some of these, you asked what's working or what are we seeing, some of these solutions are emerging with a social component in them. Uh, this is not, nothing we're talking about is a panacea, but there's an emerging group of, again, fintech startups, for one, that are working on uh, helping you set up a, your financial life with another person that you really can trust to help you with it. We're talking about this as a mental health issue, but it really intersects tremendously also with the aging of the population and the um, the, the fact that many of us are going to be dealing with uh, parents and uh, a generation of people who used to manage their finances great, maybe can't do it so well now. And so the ability to, if I wanted to say, uh, you know, when I'm a few years down the road that I'd like to trust my son or my daughter to have visibility and get an alert if I suddenly am spending something that's completely different from my normal pattern. Um, and then now this has a downside to it, too, because there is a growing epidemic of elder abuse and abuse of by family members and trusted parties of people who have mental health problems. But when it works well, it's, it, it is one of the solutions that the person doesn't need to be there alone trying to manage this whole thing. And it's true in finance and other areas as well. Yeah, that element of community can be really powerful. Yeah, yeah and I think that was something that came up a lot at our event was that a lot of the traditional FS firms assumed this would be a power of attorney issue that the way you fix it is to give control to someone else but actually the idea of the trusted personal network and how you use that 
to either validate or give approval for a, a transaction or just that you use that network to notify when someone has deviated from um, a spending again, behavior that they again, said notice, was appropriate. Right? Exactly. Rather than, exactly. um, hey, here's the you can, you can't, the, the sort of the binary assumption of approve, reject is, is probably moving away from what's ideal and community and kind of uh, nudges feel more like it's 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 human centric as, as Geller says all right so I'm, I'm up against it on time i just want to make sure that everybody and, and we could talk about this forever it's a uh, hugely hugely important subject and and i want to thank you all for for enlightening me a lot on the subject before i go um i want to ask everybody just to tell us where we can find out more about who you are and, and what you do if i could start with you joe Great, thank you. So you can find me at jsbarefoot.com, and I have a podcast show that's on fintech and regtech called Barefoot Innovation, which you can find anywhere. And then Hummingbird, which is our um, solution for financial crime, is at hummingbird.co. Uh, so great to be here today. Thank you, Joe. Um, Nick, you and the FCA's uh, work? Uh, so the FCA's website is fca.org.uk. And if you put um, a slash in RegTech after it, you'll see the RegTech pages. There you are. Uh, Agela. Um, I'm at gelabushkovich.com. I'm also uh, with Rainmaking, which is rainmaking.io. Uh, and that's our fintech side of the work. And you can also Google Femtech. Of course. And James. Yeah, keep it simple with at SanctusLDN on Twitter or Instagram to find out more about the work we do. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you uh, have enjoyed this show, please do get in touch with us as well uh, at Fintech Insiders on Twitter. Um, do get in touch at podcasts at 11fs.com as well. Please also go take a look at some of the money and mental health policy institutes work in the area. Uh, if you'd like to talk to somebody about some of the issues raised in the show, of course, um, sanctus.io, as you mentioned, uh, jsbarefoot.com, as well as fca.org.uk. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, of course, if you like what you heard, please subscribe to to our podcast reviewers on itunes we love reading those reviews thank you very much